Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to episode four of our monthly Connecting with Classics series, where I, Aaron, and my co-host, Don Shanahan of Every Movie Has a Lesson, have a conversation about a widely regarded great film from the past. Don and I wanted this to be a participatory experience while encouraging you all to watch more classic films. So we will be giving out cool stuff at the end of the year to those who write and share their reviews of the film or comment and discuss with us in the Feelin' Film Facebook group. These interactions will earn you entries into an end-of-the-year prize drawing for a poster of the Connecting with Classics movie of your choice, plus podcast swag for listeners who don't wish to be part of the discussion group. You can also email reviews to feelinfilm at gmail.com, and we will accept those equally. Aaron, thanks for having me again today. And uh, folks, uh, for this departing month of April, I will claim credit for stumping for and shoehorning this particular selection of our feature title. Aaron and I are pleased to present to you 1953's Shane. Uh, newer or younger audiences may recognize this film from the allegorical pairing made by James Mangold's Logan comic book film last year. Folks, it is better than a mere reference found in a comic book movie. On my scorecard is the number one Western and a top 10 all-time favorite of my own self. Uh, let's tell you more about it. Um, as always, folks, this is, um, well, first, this is a 65-year-old film, so we are going to spoil the heck out of it. And uh, that still counts as a warning. We are a podcast that is best listened to after you've seen the film. So turn us off now and come back later if you are revisiting Shane as we are. Um, for some historical context, I want to start singing happy birthday, but <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. I couldn't believe it when I looked this up. This movie was released on my birthday. So only a one in 366 chance that that could happen. Right. Um, I'll, all the way from, it. back in 1953. So 65 years ago, it was a little bit before my time, but oh, it is kind of a neat little find for us when we started looking this one up. Mm -hmm. Now, awards-wise, just to kind of give you the resume rundown and, and tail of the tape, Shane was nominated for six Academy Awards that year, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, two Best Supporting Actor nominees, and Best Color Cinematography. Uh, it only won one that year, winning for uh, Loyal Griggs' uh, Color Cinematography. It ended up losing um, everything it could to uh, From Here to Eternity that year, which is a fantastic um, movie. Oh, fantastic film, unquestioned classic, you know. Uh, so Frank Sinatra took Best Supporting Actor, Fred Zinneman took Director, and obviously Picture went to From Here to Eternity that year. Um, I, I just as a another piece of tale of tape in terms of who's who working on this film. Um, Edith Head's costumes in the film. Edith Head's kind of a cool Oscar kind of fun factoid name for a dork like me who gets into the Oscars. Uh, she's the most decorated person in that category of costumes with twenty five nominations and eight wins in her career. Wow! So she is loaded. Um, when I saw the credits, my I don't. I don't, know, I don't know if you've done this, but I've started to watch enough films where it's always kind of been this way. But you see a name, and you're like, wait, I've seen that name from somewhere. And it's an obscure mm -hmm. thing. Like, it's never like Best Boy or Gaffer, but it's something like costume design. And, and Edith Head was a name that pinged for me. In terms of our source and where we've been kind of pulling these classics from, um, the American Film Institute and their 100 Years, 100 American Films, um, Shane landed at number 69 on their original list, and it was elevated to number 46 on their 10-year list that came afterwards in 2007. 
Alan Ladd's uh, titular hero is the number 15 hero of all time. The, com- the Comeback Shane line is the number 47 quote. Um, the film itself is number 53 on their cheer list. And finally, it is the number three Western on Wait, their top list. Their cheer list? Is that like movies that it's are a, supposed to make you happy? Right. Movies that are supposed to make you happy. Lift your spirits, you should, so to speak. Yeah. You should go look up that list. It's a pretty I, cool. I'm definitely subject. curious about that list. I'm sure our yeah. list will be too. I I know they have these obscure kind of mm-hmm. specifically curated ones. But oh yeah, I didn't, did not know about that one. Like there, I know there's a musical score one. There's a heroes and villains one, Heroes which and I really villains, get a kick out of. Yeah, but yeah, it, there's a cheer list now. If it's not topped by bringing on, I don't know what I know. <laughs> cheer right. So um. But for me, and the one that's the biggest for it, for the for what we're talking about, it's the number three western um, behind Searchers at number one and High Noon at number two. Two picks that I would I would put there. How, I mean, how's your western barometer, Aaron? I not those. I, we're gonna have, talk have about. You, have you seen the Searchers? I have not seen the Searchers, and if I, I if I have, it's a long time ago when I was a kid and I don't remember it. I have I, recently watched High Noon. Okay, how did High Noon go for you? Very similar to Shane. Okay, I okay. appreciate the craft. There you and go. I, we'll talk here in a little bit about why my enjoyment maybe suffers some. But sure. I think I just enjoy a little bit of a different style of Western because within the genre, totally we have groups of films. Oh, yeah. We have shootout films. We have more hero and villain type mm-hmm. battles going on. My favorite Westerns on my top 100 are Unforgiven. There you the go. Yuma and the more modern take of Hell or High Water. I think those are the three that I have. Or okay. Tombstone. Because sure. it, Tombstone is just fun. It kind of is hard. You can't even really count Tombstone in a Western it's conversation. Top, it's the top gun of Westerns. Because, it, yeah, it's a great, it's a great way know, to put it. Yeah. It's the fun one. And that's okay. I think no, my favorite um, older one right now um, would still probably come to the original Magnificent Seven. That's a good pick. Yeah, maybe the good bad. No, uh, for those film readers out there who need a little bit of a like a I don't know a primer or a history lesson on on just where the Western motifs come from or the genres kind of split and divide. Seriously, I know this sounds cheesy and simple, but go to Wikipedia and um, look up Western, and there are subgenres in there where you have um, your classic revenge Western, you have your territorial Western, you have your and then all of those kind of you know signature. I guess I should say narrative anchors turn into the branches of the films we're talking about. And and I, I admit I'm, I like the methodical thinking man grizzled Western where, yeah, the searchers high noon and Shane, they work for me. And and at least the, the way I like to have my Western cup of coffee. So, so you're telling me this is like in your top 10 of all time. So I got to ask you the question. It's in my top 10 favorites. Is it a top 10, like best of everything ever? Nah, I gotta play that film critic thing where we always oh, call you. We always call you Don the Masterpiece Shannon. Yeah, you do. So, you so do. does this movie get that title for you? It does. Wow. Um, okay. It does for um for a couple of reasons. One, um, when you look at I, I, most of my masterpiece stuff comes from resumes and doing all that, and this is George Stevens's masterpiece. He doesn't have a film even close to this. Um, this is the best thing Alan Ladd's ever done. And for me, in this, I'm gonna try to define it better later. But um, in this kind of immigrant western you know um i you use the word wholesome in the notes and we'll talk about that some more in this like un you know un how do i say it unwavering good guy western yeah they don't there's not much better than this like so often western heroes are the anti-hero or they're immensely flawed but we have to like really see them thrown bare on the screen or the violence really percolates in, in a in just a in a more jarring way. So for this one to kind of be 
a squeaky clean Western. Like I could show this to my kids and, and they might not get all of it, but they would still gravitate enough to be like, wow, that's a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think in the subgenre where this one's hiding. Yeah. It's a masterpiece for me. Nice. You know, I have deeper reasons that make it more of a favorite for me yeah. than a, than a masterpiece. Like I don't think this makes a top 10 list of best of best, but um, it's on my top 10. If I'm sitting here doing a, an Aaron white style letterbox of favorites, this is, yeah, this is top 10 for me. This one hits me good. Mm-hmm. Well, when did you first see this one? So how long ago was that? I first saw this um in college. Um, I I heard the film name dropped in um 1998 films uh, The Negotiator. Um, a really nice little ace cop thriller with um with uh, Kevin Spacey and, and Samuel Jackson and uh shot in Chicago. So I mean I, we kind I always heard about it and knew about it that way. But um in the film The Negotiator um. Kevin Spacey's uh, hostage and negotiator character is a, a real big fan of Westerns. And he keeps um They keep bringing up Shane to, with, with uh, Samuel Jackson and, 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 and Spacey himself. And one, that's a great acting collision to have Spacey and Jackson. And the way they talked about Shane, how they were trying to discuss the same kind of character motifs in the ending and what, what they interpreted out of that film, they kept calling back to it and kept kind of buzzing about it. And uh, I, with the, all those illusions and callbacks that kind of grabbed my curiosity. And at the time I was in college, I worked at a video store, like a typical college guy who started to get into movies. And I'm like, I'm going to find that movie, Shane. Sure enough, it's on the Western shelf. I blew off the dust on it, took the VHS type home and, and fell in love with it on the spot. Um, I really, I dug how it was, um, just the, this, yeah, the same themes, motifs we're going to, we're going to dive into, but that's where I discovered it. So probably about 98, 99 in college, absorbing all that, where, once I once I saw Shane, I had to go see something else. You know, I, I picked up High Noon. Um, it was one of those that happened for me a lot in college, where I would get one film of a particular genre, a time period, and I'd want to go gobble up and find more. Like, I first Vietnam movie I remember seeing vividly was like The Deer Hunter, and then once I got to there, it just tailspinned into everything oh, else. Go see yeah. Platoon. Go to see you know, it's a pile of Vietnam films. Yeah, so I don't sense. know about how about you? Uh, I imagine this one's later then college for you yeah oh yeah so actually this one the first time was last year literally just about a year ago i looked it up it was march of 2017 so a little over a year and i believe that i watched i was on a western run Mm -hmm. i had watched through the dollars trilogy for the first time and i was just kind of catching up with some older films and this is when i watched high noon for the first time and Shane was was in that grouping. I, I feel like it was like many things in my life where I post something on Letterboxd. A lot of the movie fans will start commenting and be like, oh, Aaron, you need to see this one, this one, this one, your blind yeah. spots, which is awesome because then I have people recommending stuff. And so I checked it out. And my initial feeling, I remember being very not impressed. Um, I enjoyed the cinematography and the performances quite a bit. I think that those are definitely standouts and Oscar worthy standouts. I think yeah. they're incredible, incredible pieces of this movie. And I guess I was just thrown off, like I said, by the kind of character-focused nature of the story without those firefights and gunfights at the OK Saloon type scenes. Mm-hmm. And uh, granted, there there are a couple of moments like that in this movie, but it's definitely nowhere on the level of your typical kind of oh, yeah. what you think of as a Western. Mm-hmm. So honestly, I was really excited for this opportunity to revisit it. When I found when I heard where it landed on the top 100 list, I remember you recommending it, and I was actually surprised. I couldn't, I couldn't find myself getting excited about the fact that it was there. I, I didn't think it necessarily deserved to be there. Okay, but 
on technical merit alone, this is one of those situations where, and we'll just go ahead and kind of transition into that. Like I absolutely understand why this is an amazing movie. So there's times where as film watchers and listeners, this is the whole point really of connecting with classics. You may not always gravitate toward a genre or gravitate toward a style of film, especially when you're going back in time and looking at older stuff, but appreciating it and understanding it for maybe what it was in its time you know, what kind of bar did it set? How did it break the mold? And that's what Shane did is it kind yeah. of broke the mold, right? I, so, I love how you say that. I love how you define that where you have to put the time machine on and go back and go, well, where, where was America at 1953? And if from here to eternity is one clue, they needed some optimism post-World War II or at least absolutely. to celebrate it. And if John Wayne is your brash, can't take him home to mom kind of hero, this is a nice guy. This is a, to me, this is the date movie Western. It, yeah. No. Uh, that's the takeaway nice for me. Like the whole yeah. movie, I'm just going, in fact, the number one thing I, I thought of, you said, I said, wholesome in my notes. I did. It was the first thing I thought of was, wow, this is slow. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I make, I made some jokes. Like, honestly, though, I feel mm-hmm. this is such a slow movie. You really got to be mm-hmm. in the right mindset to watch it. You sure. can't just throw it on expecting that action because when you do, your brain is not ready to slow down. Mm-hmm. I think when you watch it prepared and th- and it was better for me the second time around, I will say okay. that up front because I knew what I was going to get and I was able to kind of let myself get in. Same thing with Blade Runner 2049. Like when I saw that movie the first time I, I was kind of expecting a little more and a little more action or something, something more driving the plot mm-hmm. forward. And then when I sat back and soaked it all in in more of a, an existential manner, I was able to enjoy it for what it is better. So it's like that. But yeah, this Western hero, to me, he's just so good and wholesome that he almost doesn't fit in the genre. Like, you're Understandable. Like, like Shane, why are you out there? Yeah. <laughs> because he, this is this, to me, this is like the story of a man who does right just because it's right. Mm-hmm. He doesn't That's do rare. right. He's not trying to right a wrong. per se he's not getting revenge he's helping for the sake of helping not for any reward or recognition and to me that's rare in the killer be killed you know prize for this prize for that western stuff you know or that 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 there's a bigger victory and and for him it's just no just right thing to do and I, i admire that and that's where that's where my gravitation goes a little bit and um that's kind of the to me because of that high virtues that are at play. I, I take, maybe it's because I've seen enough times that I can absorb it in this way, or, or I've, I've projected myself to absorb it in this way. I, I really take it as almost being mythic because of the high positive regard it, go, it gives for its hero. Kind of a, a comp that I, when I watch this film, a comp I always come on to is The Natural with Robert Redford, where that's a hero who's had bad things happen to him, but is unfailingly good and unfailingly decent and unfailingly nice. So, and then you have this, especially in the natural, you have those rise to occasion moments where, and, and it's none of the gunfights in Shane, but that idea where he's just this awestruck individual of perfection in a certain way that everyone watches and goes, wow, look at, look at Roy Hobbs out there. Look at Wonder Boy and the bad and the way they start to really play with that mythology there. This doesn't go as deep into maybe that kind of symbolism, but I, I took that parallel of very high virtue, high positive character. And that's kind of where I spun that as a protagonist, where the um, 
his actions really feel above reproach where most anti mm-hmm. where, again most westerns are filled with anti-heroes and flashy hotheads oh absolutely and i mean there's there's great scenes in this there's individual scenes that are standouts the mm-hmm. one in the bar the first time in the bar where he's getting yeah. hounded by chris and he's getting made fun of because he's drinking a soda mm-hmm. i really related to this because when i was young and in the navy and just hitting 21 the culture was all around getting out to the club, even before 21, when I was overseas, getting out to the clubs and the, and the bars, drinking your face off and like mm-hmm. trying to make it back to the ship alive. Like that was the goal. You know, you won yeah. if you could stumble back somehow. Ooh. And so I was not into that. And I remember vividly having to go through this period of my life where people made fun of me constantly for not drinking. Or for not drinking enough. They would yeah. tell me to drink and I'd say no. And then they would buy me shots and then they would look at me and say, Oh, you have to drive, you have to buy, you have to drink it. And I bought it, you know, now. Mm-hmm. And I would look them in the eye and I would say, Well, I'm sorry you wasted your money because I'm not drinking it, you know. And I had the yeah. I had the stones to say that. And a lot of people don't. And I loved this depiction of Shane because he is the example of that I kind of tried to take after where he stood up for himself. Yeah. You know, and he didn't give in to that. And he tries so hard to be just like deflection and to um, kind of lower the situation, lower the tension in the room and just not have something blow up into a fight. He really gives it his all. Yeah. I mean, as a Western, it's still black hats versus white hats here, you know, Um, but I think Shane uh, takes it a step down to address kind of a more common and different role in the Western. And that's the idea of um the settler, the American farmer. I mean, obviously, in this film, they're called the sodbusters and the and the you know, all the derogatory terms they kind of give these guys that don't make their money with guns. So I, I like that this is a that some of our protagonist characters aren't the kind of people who keep a gun at their hip ready to go. There's kind of a very, there's a very large dose of the American dream kind of underneath the Western ink here. And I know, um, I know you kind of went to that direction where uh, just that, that earning the right to work the land with, with, with start and, and Riker and some of those conversations I know you were thinking of. And that scene to me was really close to being kind of one of my lessons or connecting points because it, it, it just, it just, kind of impacted me a lot where he's talking to it's Riker, right? Riker is the villain. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of your gray bearded puppet maker, puppeteer. He's coming in and he's, he's, you know, things have gone South and the, the, they're not getting what they want. And Mm -hmm. they realize at this point that Shane is going to stick up for star. And so he comes and he's trying to find a way to, to work them in. And he says, okay, you guys work for me and I'll let you keep your land, you know? And, Mm -hmm. There's that awesome moment where he's explaining something that is very true, which is we don't want our stuff taken away from us. But then Starrett comes back to him and says, but you only have it because you took it away from someone else. Mm-hmm. And of course, he doesn't react well to that. He doesn't want to he doesn't want to take that because that doesn't help his cause. Right. And so, you know, this is what happens in the world today all the time. We have people that think this way. You know, I don't, they may be right in a sense, but they're also wrong. And so I just really liked kind of the moral and ethical dilemmas at play here, very subtly handled. 
Yeah, I, I, the compass of the film is really so tuned to be, I feel intentional in that direction. I know one of our commenters, and I'm, I, I, I forget who in the, in the feeling film group said it, but, um, who recommended the novel to us. And I'm not a big book reader, but I like the movie Esther. enough. I, I, Esther. Esther O'Reilly. Esther, you hit us in the square in the eyes every now and then. So you deserve the shout out for this one. Um, no, if the novel dives into some of those layers, even if it's the political layers or even the past to Shane, I'm, I'm in for it. It's a novel I would look up for sure. Yeah, the other one that really hit me the moment was Star It um, and Shane fighting at the end. Yeah. And, you know, because – the only reason this, the only reason this happens is because Shane is trying to prevent him from doing something that will actually get him killed or hurt yep. so that he can't protect his family. So when Sh- Shane doesn't go looking for fights, I mean, he does at the very, very, very end, right? The one last mm-hmm. hurrah, like your Western kind of has to have that. And then, so we get one. Oh, yeah. But this scene is almost better for me because he's fighting his friend. Mm-hmm. He's fighting his friend because his friend won't listen and he's trying it, it's this is almost like a i'm watching i was watching civil war before we started recording so yeah. forgive the reference but this is like a oh, that counts as that dark and steve rogers battle right here because sure. one is trying to really protect the other based on their own version of ideals mm-hmm. and they really truly care about each other yeah. they love each other so this one is so good and i love that the wife marianne played by gene arthur in this film is wonderful mm-hmm. um she has agency. She is not just there to do what the man says. She right. runs that family. She has so much great advice for her son. And, and this is one of them. She says, Shane did what he had to do. She doesn't yeah. take her husband's side. She takes Shane's side because she takes the side of what was right and not mm-hmm. based on who it was. And I yeah. love that. Yeah. She's in on that compass too. And it's, it's so clear where, I, I think in cruder and more imprudent hands, this film turns into a, a really bad love triangle. And I'm very glad it doesn't. And um, in that same scene, what I, what I like in terms of the way it's played is the momentary dislike that little Joe has when his little idol hero here, Shane is fighting his dad. And it's not at a place where he, he hates his dad in any kind of way, but he also really is into Shane. So to see that those two fight his conflict of, who do I like? Who do I root for at the same time of, you know, um, the mother, like you said, giving her the, him those answers and, and teaching him kind of the ways of the world of why, why men are going and making the decisions they do based on that compass, I think was really strong. Yeah, for sure. One big topic that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Is this moment of dialogue that occurs between Shane and Marianne or mm-hmm. Marion. Uh, and Shane says, something that is extremely relevant to the way that the world is today. 65 years later, still a problem. Oh, gosh. <laughs> he says, a gun is a tool, Marion, no better or no worse than any other tool, an ax, a shovel, or anything. A gun is as good or as bad as the man using it. Remember that. She responds by saying, we'd all be better off if there wasn't a single gun left in this valley, including yours, Shane. Mm. I'm curious, not, I don't want us to necessarily get into this in the sense of like, are we liberal? Are we conservative? Do we believe in gun control? Because that's so, not so the debate. So don't name drop Gabriel Green here. <laughs> yes. Too late. We, okay. we have listeners that are on both sides of this debate. For oh, sure. yeah. Um, and, and we probably have our own opinions. But I, what I, my interest in this is, is that it's tackling this problem that it mm-hmm. sees in the world through the use of a fictional story 
And here we are 65 years later. And instead of the guns being referenced being revolvers, because there's not enough law in the land to keep everybody in check, mm-hmm. we have the same problem, right? Yeah. With automatic weapons and not enough law in the land to keep everybody in check. So I just find that to be an incredibly important piece of this movie, an interesting yeah. piece of this movie. I'm with you. It's fascinating. Um, Do you feel like that, that stance matches the compass of the film? I or do. is it really, or is it progressive and out there and mismatched? No. And that's, that's a difference too, from a classic yeah. film to a modern film. Exactly. In modern days, I think a movie that tried to approach this subject would largely come across as forced mm-hmm. and in your face Very. and people would either embrace it and use it as a calling card to promote their, prof- their politics or yep. they would reject it and say that it was just a piece of propaganda. Whereas in this mm-hmm. film, it does feel like an accurate piece of the world. And because it all comes full circle in the end, Shane actually says after the last big fight, he goes and he tells, uh, is it Joey? Is that the kid's name? Yeah, Joey. Mm-hmm. He says, tell your mother that there aren't any more guns in the valley. And I love that because yeah. it's, it's a way for Shane to be a change that he can actually affect for them long term. Yeah, totally agree. And I think I'm with you. If, if, if this were if this were spun today and remade today, it would it would get all the clamor in the world of being one side or the other because of how volatile this has become. It like like you said, between propaganda or political statements or some weird agenda, or people would look at just that moment and and cherry pick that and forget the rest of the compass of the film. So I'm, I'm I think it I think it really does fit. Um, I love that it's about the person using it. I, I, as as much as I'm, um, oh, we'll we'll bear all this in. As much as I'm not the biggest Second Amendment fan. I can't argue with how perfectly stated 1953 or then that that statement is that, that all the stuff we're talking about now is a people problem. And, yeah. and, you know, and it, it, stems the guns do, it stems from the people problem. I mean, some of the levels of the guns do not help, but it is a people problem. And yeah. I love that, that we can recognize that from a film then to now, but at the same time, how far have we gotten in 65 years? Like yeah. you said. Yeah. Something to think about, which is what we love what a film does for us. Oh yeah. Yeah. And something else to think about is our connecting points, which mm. we, we like to have a connecting point from the feel and film angle. We like to take that every movie has a lesson angle and we'll, we'll have a, a life lesson we both chose as well. So getting into our connecting points, I want to ask you, what did you come up with out of all of them? Because I know that there were probably multiple for you. Anytime there's a film that's sure. this high on your list that affects you this emotionally, mm-hmm. you're going to have more than one. But which one did you land on? Oh my gosh. Um, so for me, um, what makes Shane special and it, it becomes my connecting point and it'll talk into my lesson is this is a huge film for me about substitute father figures. You know, I, I love the, well, I'll get into personal history in a second, but I'm, I love watching a good father figure story where dad stories are, are great. You know, we can do the Atticus Finches and all that, but a, a father figure story is really interesting to me because I gravitate to that. I did not have the best dad growing up where you know, he just wasn't involved in my life. He's a bit of an alcoholic guy, not the, not the best guy. And um, so I was, I'm little Joe, you know, only worse, you know, where I, I don't even have a good dad trying to make a good living. It was so it, when, when a, when a 
when a cool breeze like Shane comes in, that that would catch my eye as much as that. So I kind of say it like this as a connecting point. So in terms of the section of the film, obviously his first appearance is kind of the wow moment for little Joey. But um, so when he kind of rides in across those kind of gorgeous Teton mountains, shout out to, you know, lower Wyoming right there. Um, But with his smile and wavy blonde hair and he begins to show the kind of manner of man he is with pleasantries and courtesies that, um, that to me de- define an atypical man of, of Westerns in that era. I was hooked early for there. So my connecting point kind of sunk, sunk in deeper for me later in the film when Shane pulls little Joe aside to teach him how to shoot. And I love their interactions from then on because of just, you know, it was the observant little boy who just kind of tagged along, but now there was involvement. There was some quality time spent between father figure idol and little boy. And um, obviously it peaks with that wonderful teary finale of the little boy just wanting to have closure before the man rode out of town. And it's those bonding scenes that really hit me between the eyes. Like I said, as a former kid who didn't have the best relationship with his dad. So I don't have solid memories of teachable moments like that for myself where my father or much of anyone else really pulled me aside to share me really good life skills or, pre- or presented to me an example of how, how to be a man. That may have happened for me with my dad, but it's the uglier memories that 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 kind of fill me a little bit. So I longed as a kid, longed for moments like that then, and I probably still do now where I became the guy who gravitated to teachers and coaches later in life. So that's for me is is kind of the seeing galvanizing moments like that in Shane really steer me as a dad myself today where I want to be Shane and dad all wrapped up in a one, you know, where I do pull my kids aside and I, I teach them something. I, I show them how to be a man. I show them my life skills and just interesting little things. Maybe it's not shooting in the yard, but play catch how to fix something, how to do this, how to do that. And those interactions between little Joe and Shane are, are my connecting point for sure. Awesome. I don't, you know, don't cry in the show. My notes don't, said don't cry in the don't show. Don't cry in the show. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's fantastic, man. I love anytime that I have that type of response. And as fathers, we both know mm-hmm. this is something that happens in movies. There are definitely movies out there that evoke these emotions. And I have mm-hmm. my own that get me as a dad. Ant-Man is one of them. Go, yeah. go figure. Right. And they just well me up with pride and tears and all kinds of emotion that I don't get in other mm-hmm. kinds of stories. So I totally get that. I'll take it. I'll take it one more layer. And I put the note here and I didn't say it, but um, for me, I really, really, really love Victor Young's music in the film. Um, That central theme called Call of the Faraway Hills. I used to hum it all the time after watching the film. And when my son, who's Sam, um, he's three years old. And ever since he was a baby, when he would cry, I would hum the Call of the Faraway Hills, the theme to shame. And uh, I would put it on YouTube or I'd come in in the background and it's just, and it would, it works every time from birth to now to calm him down whenever he's just busted up about whatever. And I love that one, I love the music too. I love that I have that with my son and I love that it comes from this movie. So um, I, 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 what I, my, I, yeah, I, I hum the music <laughs> to my son and it, that's, yeah. that's the next layer of connecting point for me is definitely now that's, that is absolutely understandable. I mean, that's a connecting point in and of itself. I, yep. And it is a direct connecting point. Like you're mm-hmm. listening to the music. Well, music features into my connecting point a little bit as well. For me, it was nothing quite as strong as that in this movie, but the thing that kind of made me pause and take in the scene the most was the funeral scene 
Mm. I really like how, so to set that stage for those who haven't seen the movie recently, uh, the friend of the star, it's um, his name is Tori, I believe. Yep. Has been murdered in town and um, the townspeople have come together for a funeral. And what I really like about the way this is depicted is it's a furthering of explaining and showing us just how on the outskirts these people live. For those that have seen the movie Wind River, it's similar to that. It takes forever for people to get around in Montana or whatever city state it is. So the law is is 200 miles away or two, you know, two day ride. It's 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 this long process. But because this is such a small community, they also don't have traditional roles like preachers. So someone has to just take that job and read off the prayers and read from the Bible, right? And and that is interesting to me because they're having to fulfill these different roles of a normal town, even though they're not big enough to have people that are specifically maybe encouraging to do that. Maybe they don't have people that are talented to do that. Mm -hmm. They have to make do with what they have. And the music wise here is just, there's this harmonica. There's a guy who's playing a harmonica in the background as they're digging and um, covering him up and putting him in the ground. And he plays this version of Dixieland that is wonderful on the harmonica. And he kind of spontaneously in reality, this wasn't planned in the film. He transitions into taps and the scene, everyone stops what they're doing and almost like stands at attention. And I found it fascinating. And so I actually looked it up and that's when I learned that this was a spontaneous choice by the guy playing the harmonica. It wasn't in the script. And because the, the actors didn't know it was coming, their immediate response was I'm hearing taps. I'm stopping what I'm doing and I'm just, waiting out of respect so for that to happen so unscripted gives it even more power for me yeah that that's how that scene plays out uh and so i just i really enjoy this there's you know after this musical piece and they're done bearing tory there's talk among the settlers of giving in to Riker. they're having this discussion amongst themselves where they're struggling because they think maybe the best thing to do is do what he wants so that he doesn't kill them. And then they see he has set fire to one of their homes and they come together. They tell each other that we're going to take care of you. Don't worry. And they have a new determination and resolve to continue the fight. And so together they agree to go out and to save that person's home and to rebuild it. And I love how this scene goes from, a somber moment of loss to a bonding moment for those that remain to standing up to the man who's trying to force them out. And I, so I, for me, this one is kind of the best. Great pick. Very nice selection there. All right. Well, our last major section is your wheelhouse, which is our life lessons. Sure. I'm going to go ahead and lead mine. Uh, okay. Because I like mine a lot. <laughs> so for, for mine, life lesson, it was fairly simple, but I felt like very impactful and something that I really believe is a thing that all parents can take away from this movie. Early, Marion, the mom, warns Joey not to get attached to Shane because he's a drifter 
and he will eventually leave. I mean, he rolls in unexpectedly. He doesn't plan to stay, but he does. We all know that Shane's not going to just set down roots and be a third wheel in this family. We all get hurt when people come, we come to love, move on. And what Marion is telling Joey is, is really impossible to keep yourself from getting attached. That's not something you can do. But that doesn't mean that we have to always live with a negative memory of someone leaving. I really think that what this tells us is instead we should focus and cherish the times that we have people in our lives. We should remember them fondly and we should learn from them what we can to become better people and not worry about how long it's going to last. Well, Joey at the end of this movie says, mother, I just love Shane. Love him almost as much as I love Paul. That's okay, isn't it? He's so good. And then Shane, later at the very end of the film, after Joey has run to him, says, I'm all right, Joey. You go home to your mother and father and grow up to be strong and straight, meaning right. And Joey, take care of them, both of them. Mm -hmm. And it just captures it there for me, this whole idea that Shane has come into their lives. He has taught them things. Mm -hmm. He has shown them that goodness can exist. And Joey is going to grow up a different human being and a better human being for having had Shane in his life, regardless of if it was a moment or not a moment. And so it was okay to get attached. And it's also okay to mourn a little bit when the loss happens, but ultimately you have grown from this and Shane specifically uses that word to define it. So that's my life lesson. I like it. Man, that's good. Nice work. Mine, mine swells really in the same direction. I, I'm the kind of guy who writes three or four or five every review and I need to get a, a vintage <laughs> system going. So for me, the number one lesson is the healthy form of idolatry on display. You talked about the idea of, you know, the line earlier in the film of, uh, you know, don't get too attached to Shane. You know, the idea that idolizing somebody who's obviously not your dad can be kind of a negative thing. But I think there's a healthy form of it going on in this film because um, little Joe loves his stressed and hardworking father. But Shane's impression on him is still huge. Like you said, where it's a it's a formative thing and a, and a fine example of, uh, like I said, the the character traits, the virtues, the, you know, how to be a man. So for a kid who's at that age of kind of examining masculinity and a very masculine culture of uh, and uh, the setting of a Western, it triggers the question of what happens when you met a man that is better than your dad or is the ideal image. Cause here I go with my life lesson of meeting people, you know, men in my life that have inspired me that are better than my dad. And I, when I watch that happen to little Joe, I, I think of myself in that kind of way. So I think that the way to explain it is like, you know, the kid is still obviously loving and accepting of what he has at home. You know, he, he still loves his dad and that's no big deal, but it is kind of that kid who's kind of dazzled by a fancy hotel or an impressive car that might portray the flashy outside world from the norm of home. But, um, but his roots and allegiances are still very much with the well-worn and familiar house or family minivan or whatever it is to it. Or if, if a kid sees the kind of the cool dad on a sitcom television, so in television show and goes, gosh, I wish that was my dad. So little Joe, I think has that going on with Shane, but in a positive way, because like what you have said, the things he's learned, the skills, the example. So I know I, I know I expected when I first saw the film that little Joe was going to turn on his dad in preference of Shane, or like I said before, if this was going to turn into a more forbidden love triangle with Marion, but instead 
the high character really wins over and makes this idle relationship healthy. And the impressionability uh, kind of takes over with the examples and lessons shared of how a man should talk and respect another, shake a hand, make a promise. And the idea of Shane's comment on perception, you know, uh, that, that, that little Joey should be a watcher of things and how that's better than being a hothead. And just those minor little moments and nuggets of lesson and just how to carry himself in a fight, which is kind of fun because of the fist fights in this film are so silly. But at the same time, little Joe's there watching every single one of them. And he, and he I know he's picking up on that. Like he's going to go home and pretend someday to swing fists like Shane. So for me, this father figure substitution, which is probably a man crush, um, is not a bad thing in my opinion. And, and, and how it's done in this film with the compass and with the way this character is drawn up. That's my life lesson. Oh man, that's good stuff. I really do mm-hmm. hope that you do write the retro review or a classic I review I of this to. film. Yeah. I think it's, I think it will be awesome to go back uh, even uh, at the end of this first year of connecting with classics and then mm-hmm. see that you're kind of building that library of classics as we go oh, yeah. through it. Cause you can, you can definitely, you're definitely taking enough notes to, to write your reviews. I oh, think. Jeez. Yeah, no kidding. Well, this has been awesome, man. Great choice on this one. It was yours, as we mentioned. So I'm glad. I appreciate getting to revisit it. And I know just hearing the way that you've described its impact on you has helped me to pretty much love it even more. I'm kind of excited to see it again now when I'm ready to take in something slow. Because yeah. no, did I mention it was slow? Because it's slow. You mentioned it's okay. <laughs> and I, 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 that's the fun part for me is I totally get why – the searchers is higher and high noon is higher and, and tombstones more fun and all that. But I don't know. It, it's a sweet spot film for me and it's not too bad. And Hey, sure. happy belated birthday for it. Why? Thank you. Well, listeners, if you'd like to talk to me further on social media and connect with me as well as the classic and tell me what you feel about it, you can reach me on Twitter at feeling film, Aaron, or in our amazing Facebook group that we plug all the time. You can just search for that or get a link to that in the show notes You can come join it, uh, find the thread and drop your review in it. That's what we want you to do. Or just come discuss Shane and tell us how you feel about the movie, that you watched it and you liked it or that you didn't like it. Whatever you have to say, and you'll get entries into that drawing later. Dawn, where can people find you and what do we have coming next? Uh, where they can find me is search the term every movie has a lesson. That's every movie has lesson.com. You can find that via Twitter, Facebook, or otherwise. A new thing that Aaron and I are starting that we're, we're scrapping and begging for followers for because it's fun. And I'm going to try to record a few more here tonight is the Stardust app where we can kind of tag and do some movie impressions on trailers and films in a quick 30 second video kind of way. My handle on that is movie lessons because every movie has a lesson is too long, but um, that's where I can hope to build some new uh, platform and followers and all that. And in terms of connecting with classics next month for May, uh, we're going to dive into Alfred Hitchcock and we might need to bring in some reinforcement guns here for uh, our, our Hitchcock completist that is in the group. So uh, we have Vertigo and Vertigo is high on the list of things that we have that and I believe it lands also on an anniversary year. I want to say this is 60. Is that 1958? I, I think we yeah. picked it for this anniversary. So I believe it's the 60th anniversary of Vertigo. I'm sure I'll get corrected on that later, but uh, Vertigo. As high as awesome. number one on some no. lists. As high as number one, listeners. Sneak, sneak preview, is it number one for you? It's not number one Of all me. time? No. No. Absolutely not. But Well, there's the teaser. Come back in next month and find out what we don't think it's number one. Find out 
where it is though because mm-hmm. it's somewhere it's definitely it's, better not it's better than or it's higher than shane for me <laughs> well yeah that's all right so folks thank you for listening and as always stay positive and keep connecting with classics